Amen. You may be seated. Man, what a great truth. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. If you're here today for the first time, you came uh, on a, a great Sunday because we're starting a new study in the book of Proverbs. We're not going to go through every single verse uh, of the book of Proverbs because of the nature of the book, as, as you'll see uh, moving forward, but we will spend probably the next three, maybe four months uh, studying this book. And here's what I would challenge you to do. I'm, I'm going to make a commitment, and I'll, I'll ask you to make a commitment as well. I'm going to commit to doing my very best to showing you from the Word of God how all of God's plans and God's wisdom and God's wonderful nature, His character, is summed up in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that applies to us every day of our lives and impacts the way that we live. And I, I would ask for you to commit to uh, being in the Word during the week and being here on Sunday and asking somebody to join you uh, because what, what we're going to be studying here in the book of Proverbs uh, applies to everybody. And I think you'll see uh, God's character shine through. And I hope that you desire that for your friends and relatives and neighbors, uh, that they would come to see that as well. And uh, it's going uh, to be easier for them to hear that coming from you than it is coming from anybody else. So uh, please, even now, be praying about who you could invite uh, to hear, not, not, not about Indian Creek, but to hear about the God that we worship at Indian Creek and, and at churches like ours. Am I doing something wrong, Jay, with this? That sounds like I'm... Okay, he's working on it. So let's go ahead and start in Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll read the first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are wise beyond compare. Your mind actually thought of everything that exists. Every drop of rain, every color, every flavor that our taste buds can enjoy. You thought of the human mind, the human body, the great mountains, the cold snow, the warm sunshine, everything came from your mind. You are wise beyond our understanding. A thousand lifetimes, we couldn't plumb the depths of your wisdom. And yet you and your kindness, you didn't just say, well, I'm wise and you all are foolish and that's the way it is. You actually revealed your wisdom to us in your word. And so we want to praise you and thank you for that and we want to take advantage of it. Thank you for revealing yourself and your will in the pages of the Bible. 
Lord, I pray that as we open it up, that you would reveal uh, to our hearts as individuals who you are and what your will is for us and how you fulfilled your plan and are fulfilling your plan in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that not for us, not just for us, but for every gospel-preaching church around this country and, and certainly in our community. I think specifically of Northside Baptist Church uh, just a few miles away as they welcome a new pastor into the pulpit uh, this month, Michael Babraska, and as he uh, begins to make plans to move his family into this community, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your blessing financially on, on him and, and uh, give him great uh, anointing to open up the word and powerfully preach the gospel so that lives are changed and that church grows and is a testimony to your uh, greatness and your goodness in the earth. And uh, Lord, we pray the same thing for all of our brothers and sisters across this city. Lord, we ask that uh, you would be glorified and that if there's anybody here who is far from you, that they would find themselves drawn to the Lord Jesus today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like most elementary age kids, my favorite subject in school back in the early 90s was lunch. Come to think of it, lunch is still one of my favorite subjects. But as a kid, it was my favorite subject in school, not only because it was a chance to chow down on fruit by the foot and gushers, or buy a, a cup of ice cream. These are the sort of things that we would eat. A cup of ice cream that you could get with a wooden spoon for 30 cents. Not only because of the food, but because it was a chance for me and the other young scholars in my class to discuss our obsessions. Uh, one month, it would be the Winter Olympics. The next month, uh, it might be pogs. Anybody else have a pog collection? It was a very short period of time, okay, that pogs were a thing. We talked about that for two or three months. The next month, it might be the Flyers and the Legion of Doom. When we didn't have anything else to distract us, we would hold orderly intellectual debates about a topic many boys obsess over, the topic of baseball. Now, I was always more of a spectator in the great baseball symposiums at Faith Christian Academy in Sellersville, PA. I didn't play Little League, and I could only catch a game uh, on TV maybe once every other week if it happened to be on a local channel on a Saturday afternoon. But, uh, I, so I wasn't one of the, the great minds who held forth in those days about Lenny Dykstra's batting average or complaining about the state of the AstroTurf in Veterans Stadium. But there was one guy whose obsession with baseball and utter lack of athletic ability left an odd but memorable impression on my mind. I'll call him Lance, even though that's not his name, because I'm a little embarrassed for him. Lance knew every stat about every player on the Philadelphia Phillies. He had a bookshelf filled with spiral-bound notebooks, notebooks in which he would uh, copy by hand the box score and other statistics from the newspaper regarding the Philadelphia Phillies every single day. And he would marshal these data in defense of one opinion or another in the great baseball debates of the FCA gymnasium slash lunchroom. The problem was that Lance's knowledge of baseball stats was not matched by his sense of how the game is actually played. 
I, I was never a star athlete in school, as I'm sure you could probably, I'm sure you're surprised by that. But Lance was in a category by himself. He was the kind of guy who would fall over trying to kick a stationary soccer ball. He couldn't throw or run or catch. His face looked like that of a 10-year-old boy, but his body moved like that of a retiree struggling with sciatica. And so no one's opinions about baseball were as comical as Lance's. Uh, Just about every day, Lance would say something downright idiotic, and I'm ashamed to say that laughing at Lance had become for us as much of a pastime as the game itself. Well, I'm wondering, have you ever met anybody like that? Uh, Have you ever gone to church with anybody like that? Not as it regards baseball, but as it regards life. You know, people like this, they know the stats, they know the facts, they know the Bible stories and the verses and even some fancy $50 theological terms, but it doesn't seem to have impacted the way that they actually live their life. Once they get out of the lunchroom and onto the baseball diamond called life, they have no idea what to do. When someone has a bad take about baseball, we can laugh about that. But when someone, when a Christian doesn't know how to take all of their Bible knowledge that they carry around in their mind and apply it to real life, that's no laughing matter at all, is it? And actually, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be the case that you're utterly clueless about how to raise your children or about how to relate to your spouse or handle your money or respond to a leader. That's not God's will for believers in the family of God. He wants us to know how to apply the teachings of the word of God to our everyday life. He he hasn't left us alone in these things. He's so wise and so kind that he gives us in his word the, the raw materials that we need to build a full life. Yes, a successful life. Not necessarily an easy life. Not necessarily a life of great wealth, but God in his kindness tells us how to lead a life that pleases him and maximizes the way he has designed us and designed the world in which we live. And in in no other place is this instruction as prominent as in the book that we're going to be studying over the next three or four months. I'm convinced that many Christians just don't realize the treasure that God stored up for us in this book. I'm calling this series Reflections for Royalty. You'll see why I've chosen that name in a moment, but for now, suffice it to say that we don't want to be like Lance. We don't want to stuff our brains with spiritual stats that we avoid putting into practice. We want to take the Word of God into every day, into the office, into the dining room, around the kitchen table. We want to please God in our fields of labor and our romantic relationships. We want to instill real wisdom in our children and pass down a legacy of faith uh, to the coming generation. And so to begin this series, I want us to begin by asking three questions from our text today. First of all, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Secondly, who's it for? And then third, what is its basis? So let's ask in the first place, what is wisdom? Notice in verses 2 and 3 that the purpose of this book is to know wisdom and instruction. Now, 
you need to understand that in Proverbs, every single word is very, very important. In the original language, each of these verses is only six or seven words long, really, really short. And a lot of meaning is wrapped up in every single term. So these terms are, are, are filled, packed with meaning. And I want to home in on the meaning of these two words, wisdom and instruction. The word wisdom in its basic sense means simply skill. Uh, it was used, for example, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 31, when Moses wanted to describe the way that the Holy Spirit endowed certain men with skill to build uh, the tabernacle, skill to work with wood and metal and fabric. He uses this very word. God gave them skill or wisdom to build the tabernacle. They had wisdom. Wisdom is skill. Well, in Proverbs in particular, that's the sort of knowledge that's in view. Skill, in this case, at living life. Skill at relating to God and others. Skill at managing yourself. Part of being an adult is dealing with the reality that we face situations and circumstances all of the time where we don't know what to do. Isn't that right? How many of you always know what to do every single day in every situation? I don't see any hands. We always are facing situations we don't know what to do. I'm constantly faced with projects I don't know how to complete and problems I don't know how to solve. And God loves us and he wants us to know how to deal with these circumstances. He knows how to deal with them and he wants us to know how to as well. So he offers us wisdom. Wisdom is skill. But notice that it's not just wisdom but instruction that is offered in this book. Once again, that is a word that is pregnant with meaning. Instruction, what is that? It is teaching, but not just the conveyal of information. It's not just somebody conveying, you know, make sure you fill in all the blanks in your notes before you leave class today. No, it's the passing down of practical values, often by showing and even warning. Instruction is not designed primarily to be pondered or written about. It's designed to be learned life on life. Instruction is the difference between my kids reading a, a recipe, and actually working with their mother to bake a loaf of bread. It's the difference between watching this old house and working on a framing crew for a summer. I mean, they're two totally different things, right? Instruction isn't just conveying information. It's, it's uh, communicating values and how to live in a life-on-life -life community setting. And the reason I want to underscore that is because God's way of teaching us how to live is very different from the common approach of most modern people today. Have you realized that? Nowadays, we don't like to receive wisdom from somebody that's lived longer than we do, do we? What do we typically value and encourage our kids to value? We say, you need to think outside the box. You need to question the received wisdom. You need to figure things out for yourself. And of course, there are ways in which that approach to life is really important and healthy. I hope your, your kids, like my kids, I, I hope they can figure things out for themselves to some degree. But oftentimes, modern people take this to an extreme. They're not just curious, they're cynical. In the academic realm, 
critical theories have led us to question the motives of every work of literature, every law, every societal structure. In the church world, we've grown extremely suspicious to this idea of the way we've always done things, right? Have you ever heard somebody say that? This is not the way we've always done things. And what, what is your response to that in your spirit when you hear that phrase? You think, well, I don't really care. You know, that we've always done it that way. It's, that's, doesn't, that's not important to me at all. But wait a second. Maybe there's a reason we've always done it that way. See, what Proverbs leads us to do is to receive instruction, to receive uh, uh, wisdom life on life. And if we want to succeed at living life, we can't be so ready to strike out on our own. The purpose of this book is to pass down skill by way of life on life, community instruction. Notice the means by which the Holy Spirit is set out to convey this wisdom. Look at the very first phrase of verse 1. What's the vehicle that conveys this skill to us? It is the Proverbs of Solomon. That's another very important word. It's a meaningful word. It's a word you've probably heard before without any help. You could probably give a working definition of that word. You've heard the word proverb before. But there are two nuances to this word I I don't want us to miss. This is really important. What is a proverb? Uh, The word itself in Hebrew, mashal, is actually related to a word that means to compare or to set side by side. A proverb is a similitude. It's putting two things next to each other. Now, that says something really powerful about the nature of the kind of literature we see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Like every other part of the Bible, Proverbs is inspired. Every word of the book of Proverbs is the word of God. Each word is God-breathed. But there's something specific about the way that the Holy Spirit gives these words to the scriptural author. Uh, For example, prophets like Daniel, they had dreams and visions, and then the Holy Spirit takes the information from that dream or vision and and leads that man to put that dream or vision on paper with words. the, the apostles, like Peter or John, they're led by the Holy Spirit to remember the teachings of Jesus and then put those words on paper, and we have those books from the apostles. Uh, that's the method the Holy Spirit used. In Moses' case, we're told that Moses spoke with God face-to-face directly. He got his words right from God. But in the case of wisdom books like Proverbs, the Holy Spirit does something a little different. He actually leads the author to reflect on the world that he observes, and it's through reflection on God's created world that the Holy Spirit distills from that reflection the very words of God, which are then put into the text. So Proverbs involves comparison with the world. We can kind of go with the sage and look at the things that he's looking at and see, okay, let's go to the field and let's observe this field and learn something about laziness and work from the way that the Holy Spirit is leading us to reflect on God's created world. So what are the Proverbs? They are spirit-inspired reflections upon life, reflections for royalty. But there's a second nuance to that word, A mashal is always a short, memorable, practical, beautiful phrase. The Proverbs, as we'll see, are a delight to read. They're beautiful poetry. And one of the reasons why God gives us wisdom and instruction in the format of a proverb is because he wants us to remember them 
when we go about everyday life. He, he makes it as easy on us as humanly possible. So to kind of take all of that information and sum it up, what is wisdom, particularly in Proverbs? It is memorable, spirit-inspired, life-on-life reflection that conveys the skill of a successful Christian life. It's memorable, spirit-inspired, life-on-life reflection that conveys the skill of a successful Christian life. Now, before we move on to the next question, I think it's worth just pausing for a second and celebrating the fact that God cares so much about us, so much about our lives, that he provides us with everything we need, not only to walk in obedience to him, but to know how to live life in a sinful world with all of its confusion, all of its consternation, all of its difficulty, and actually navigate the trials and the temptations and the difficulties of life. God is gracious and loyal, and he doesn't want his people to wander through life confused. The Bible doesn't speak to this issue specifically. Now, I don't know what to do. God wants us to be confident and to know how to live. I think he deserves our praise and our thanks for that. Aren't you glad God didn't just give us a big theology book with abstract assertions about lofty questions with only a remote connection to real life? I love that stuff, and it's really, really important, but he also gives us a book like Proverbs. Aren't you glad that God speaks directly to sons and daughters and dads and moms and farmers and salesmen and servants and politicians and grandmas and grandpas and everybody else in the normalness of life. God is supremely interested in the life that you lead. You don't have to be particularly important to live under God's gaze. I think that's powerful. I'm glad for that because it means that even when life is confusing, even though I don't know what to do, even when I'm stuck in the tedium of everyday life, God cares about the way that I live. And he actually provides me with the tools I need to conduct myself in that situation. I can make choices that he says are skillful and wise. Okay, what is wisdom? It's skill for living, packaged in short artful reflections upon God's created world, inspired by the Spirit himself and designed to be passed down life on life. What is wisdom? That's what it is. But consider our second question. Who is it for? Who is wisdom for? Uh, As I've said, these are reflections for royalty. What does that mean? You'll notice that these are, according to verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon... And how is Solomon described? He could be described any number of ways. But he's described here in verse 1 as the son of David, what? King of Israel, right? That's instructive to me. Notice as well, if you keep reading through chapter 1, we won't get to this today. We'll get to it next week. But constantly throughout the first nine chapters especially, uh, the Proverbs are constantly being directed to someone called my son. So Solomon is the primary author of the book of Proverbs. He's not the only one. But he's the primary author of the book of Proverbs, and he's addressing his son. So who are these reflections designed to reach? They're designed to reach the sons of the king. This is for royalty. And, and folks, that, that's us. That's who we are. 
Like, aren't we a kingdom of priests? Aren't we united by faith to David's greater son? We have a high calling in the world. We're created to exercise dominion and represent God in the earth. That starts in Genesis 1. It ends all the way in the end of the book of Revelation. This is who we are. We're designed to exercise as uh, as God's vice regents in the earth, our identity as kings and priests to our God, but that's not all. The book is specifically targeted to individuals in two different stages of life. So, and I know I'm moving fast through this, but it's directed towards the sons of the king. Uh, we might even say the sons and the daughters of the king. And, and, and it's directed to people in two stages of life. You might be surprised by this. Notice verse four, in which the sage restates the purpose of the book. He says the part of the purpose of this book is to give prudence to who? To the simple. Knowledge and discretion to who? To whom? <laughs> Sorry, English teachers. To the youth. Now, just a, a quick note. I, we're, we're orienting ourselves to the book, so there's a little more explanation today. Uh, in Hebrew poetry, which Proverbs is almost entirely poetry, uh, unlike in English, where a lot of poems rhyme, uh, the sound of the words rhyme, uh, in, in Hebrew, the thoughts rhyme. So the first half of the verse rhymes on the thought level with the second half of the verse. So in other words, one half of the verse kind of is restated in the second half of the verse in this case. So what's the rhyme? This is this wisdom is directed towards someone we're calling the simple, and another way to say that is someone who is young. Now here's the point. The point is the simple man is the same type of person as the youth. Together these words describe the life situation of most royal sons when they're about to launch into real life. So the wisdom in the book of Proverbs, who's it for? Primarily is for young people. Primarily this is directed towards young adults and, and, and perhaps teenagers. A Bible scholar named Bruce Waltke uh, probably one, the one English-speaking person living who has thought and written and taught most extensively on the book of Proverbs translates this word simple with the word uncommitted. And isn't that the nature of youth? We're uncommitted. You're a young person. You're uncommitted. You haven't decided what you think yet. You're still weighing your options. You have some opinions, but those opinions haven't really been tested yet. Proverbs asks us to pay close attention to the line between youth and adulthood, and here's the line. When you're young, this is true, young people of you, when you're young, you make decisions, but you don't bear the full weight of those decisions yet, but you're on the threshold of adulthood, and when you're an adult, you make decisions and you bear the full consequences of those decisions. So here in Proverbs, we're presented with like a young man and, and uh, he's about to go into the city and that city sort of represents adult life, real life, where choices matter, where consequences are coming. And he enters into the city, he goes into the gate and he hears two different voices. One voice is saying, hey, embrace wisdom. The other voice is saying, embrace folly. And the young man has to choose. It's time to be committed. And so we, we see this dynamic at play in the book of Proverbs. The point is that the book of Proverbs is really the only book in the Bible whose primary audience is teenagers and young adults on the very threshold of life and a life of great consequence. 
Uh, That's what the word simple means. It's not someone who lacks mental capacity. It's someone who just lacks experience in life. It's someone who still has to make a decision about which way they're going to go. So, young adults, those new to marriage, those who are still in high school or college, those who feel like they're just starting out in life, this book is written with you in mind. And I just want to point out that the values of God's word fly in the face of the values that we often hold dear today. See, in modern Western culture, think about this, don't we consider it a virtue to withhold judgment? To say, you know what, I haven't decided yet. I'm weighing all the options. What, what's, who's to say whether this Christian pastor or this uh, Buddhist teacher or this guy who's an atheist or this person over here, who's to say which one has his cor- the corner on truth? Who's to say whether the Bible is true or whether some other holy book is true or whether no holy books are true? I'm undecided about this. We consider that a virtue in our society today. But Proverbs reminds us, the time's coming when you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to plant your flag at some level. You're going to have to decide, and the decision to say, I don't want to make a commitment I'm going to remain simple is itself a decision to say no to the wisdom of the word of God and yes to the so-called wisdom of the world. We're going to see that as we move forward in the next couple of weeks. You cannot remain uncommitted forever. You're at the gate of the city. Folly is calling. Wisdom is calling. You're at the fork in the road and you've got to choose which path you're going to go on. Who is wisdom for? In Proverbs, first of all, it's primarily for the uncommitted the youths, the simple. But notice that according to verses five and six, that's not the only group of people toward whom this book is written. Read those first few words of verse five. Who is this book for? Let the wise hear. Let the one who understands gain guidance. The the two halves, once again, of this verse rhyme. It's talking about the same group of people. They're, They're meant to go together like two lenses looking at the same subject. Who's this book for? Not just for the uncommitted, not just for somebody who hasn't decided yet. This book is for those who are wise, those who are experienced, those who already understand. Many of God's people, royalty though they may be, frankly miss this. They learn hungrily for a few years after they start following Christ. They drink up God's truth in their Bible reading every morning. They hang on to every word of the sermon. They seek out experienced mentors to give them guidance in parenting or marriage or money or work or life or whatever it is. They listen. Their ears are open, but then they get to a point. Have you ever met anybody like this? Where they feel like they know enough. They wouldn't put it this way, but they feel like they've arrived that they don't need to listen anymore. You know the classic example of that from the Bible? Solomon. Remember what happened to Solomon? He started out so well. I mean, just humble before the Lord, the wisest man who ever lived, and yet in his later life began to make choices that were not pleasing to the Lord. What happened? Well, I think what happened, at least in some respect, is that he decided he was wise enough and stop listening to the word of God. Here's what Proverbs 19, 27 says. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. He stopped hearing. 
As a preacher, I've been asked many times by wiser, more experienced pastors, Jake, what are you doing to feed your own soul? I've been convicted by that. We've got to keep listening. We've got to keep our ears open. If you're a wise person, a wise person is somebody who hears, somebody who listens. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you still need God's wisdom. And that's not a bug, by the way. That's a, that's a feature of biblical wisdom. Why do you think it is that God would want people, even in their maturity, even after following Christ for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, why is it that he would still want them to listen? I think one of the reasons why is because God's desire is not for you to gain so much knowledge that you don't need him anymore. God's desire is for you to grow in faith. That's what pleases God. We're told by the the author of the book of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so what God wants from us when we've been following Christ for a long time is to grow not just in knowing what to do, but to grow in our dependence upon the Father. So regardless of how many years you've been following Christ, regardless of how many tough decisions you've had to make over your life, how many risks you've taken in service to Christ, his desire is for you that you would depend on him even now. And that means you've got to keep your ears turned on. The book of Proverbs is not just for the immature or inexperienced, it's for the wise as well. So what is wisdom? In in Proverbs, it's spirit-inspired reflection designed to be passed down life on life. Who's it for? It's primarily for those still deciding, but it's also for the wise among the royal priests of God because he wants us to live a life of faith. But the last thread that I want to pull on a, a little bit more as we turn to our third question. What is the basis of wisdom? What is wisdom? Who's it for? What's its basis? Now, in verse 7, it's like the sage kind of pulls back, takes a deep breath. He says, okay, I've introduced what it is. I've told you who I'm talking to. Now it's time to get started. Now it's time to really get in to what wisdom is. Where do we begin in our quest for wisdom? Here's the answer in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I know I've done a lot of teaching this morning. It's time to kind of get into some preaching, all right? There are a lot of really smart people out there, a lot of people who have succeeded in business. Maybe they have a beautiful family. Maybe they're happy with their life. Maybe they've done a lot of good things but they aren't really wise if they didn't start where the sage tells us that we have to start. What's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Now, don't think too simplistically about this. Don't boil it down too much and then dust it off your desktop. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean simplistically that a wise person is afraid of the Lord, right? We know that. Nor does it mean simply that a wise person respects the Lord. That's too simplistic. No, think about what this phrase means. Who is the Lord that we're asked to fear? That's where we need to start. Who is this God? Now, that's a shortened version of God's very name. 
that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush a moment when in the blistering heat of the desert, a man looked up to the side of the mountain and he saw a bush burning, but it wasn't consumed. And he came in front of the bush and God actually spoke to Moses, the God who made the world. He spoke to a man and he said, you're on holy ground. You need to take your shoes off. And Moses had the boldness and the temerity to say, who are you? What's your name? And the name that he revealed was this, I am is my name. I am. I'm the one who exists in and of myself. I'm the self-dependent one. I'm the one who's always existed, the eternally existing almighty God. And it was under the banner of that name that I am led a people out of slavery and brought them to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. It was I am who parted the Red Sea and destroyed Israel's enemies in the water. It was I am who fed his people in the wilderness and guided them with his steady hand and his loyal love. It was I am who revealed himself to to, to Moses once again. He said, I'm going to let my glory pass in front of you. And he said, here's my name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and overflowing in, in, in steadfast love and faithfulness, a God who forgives iniquity. A God who shows loyal love to a thousand generations but doesn't clear the guilty. It was I am who commanded his people to be holy, for he is holy. I am who appointed David as king in Jerusalem and promised that one of David's sons would rule forever. What is the fear of the Lord? It's the utter, it's it's the inner conviction that I'm utterly vulnerable and utterly dependent on this God. This God in all of his presence, his purity, his power. He's here. He's with his people. He's jealous for them. He's not going to allow anybody to take his place. He's mighty beyond imagination. He's pure beyond compare. He's present now at every time and in every place. Who are the people who fear the Lord? Study the phrase out in scripture. You'll find The people who fear the Lord are those who have a covenant relationship with the Lord. They're part of God's people. That's what it means to fear the Lord. A lot of what you're going to read in this book will appeal to you whether you are a Christian or not. You're going to see that that there's a lot of wisdom in this book. But the wisdom you find here is really for those who are in a covenant relationship with I Am. Again, notice that these are called the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of of Israel, the covenant ruler of God's covenant people, the people who fear the Lord. Now, here's what's really precious about this. Solomon's job was to rule God's people in the presence of I am. That's what the king of Israel was supposed to do. Represent the people of God. To be an exemplar of the fear of the Lord. Now, Solomon, did he succeed or did he fail? He failed, right? He fell way short. And then he died. And then Solomon's son took his place and he failed even worse. And then his son after him and his son after him until one day a son of David was born who wouldn't fail, who wouldn't falter, who would die, but who would ultimately gain the victory over death. Jesus, son of David. He met all the demands of the covenant ratified at Sinai. He fulfilled all the hopes of the covenant that God made with King David in Jerusalem. And here's one of the things that's so remarkable about Jesus. The son of David, whose role it is 
to lead us into wisdom, to instill those skills in the people of God. That same person, that same king, is the person whom we ought to fear. Jesus is both. He's our king who represents us to God and leads us to God and is himself God. So what are we talking about? When does, where does wisdom start? Here's where it starts, with worship. If you remember nothing else that I say today, remember this, wisdom begins with worship. The basis of a successful, full, skillful life, the basis of a life well-lived, all boils down to one thing. Will you draw near to the pure, powerful, present God? Through the covenant king, he sent to enable you to stand before him by faith. See, what we're going to see as we study the book of Proverbs is really the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see what he's like. And my prayer is that week by week, we would leave this room thinking, man, Jesus is so wise. Jesus is so wonderful, so pure and powerful and present in my life. I'm so grateful that the God before whom I stand vulnerable, the God on whom I must depend is none other than the God and Father of King Jesus, my covenant head, the one who gave me his name, his identity, his righteousness, his joy, and his spirit. Wisdom begins with worship. That's why we're celebrating communion today. Because if you want to be wise, if you want to know how to live, then you've got to start by recognizing that King Jesus, the Lord himself, offered up his body to be broken for you and shed his blood for you so that you may have fellowship with the fearsome God and creator of all. Some of you are here today, and you haven't begun yet. You're going to see a lot of things in this book that you find appealing. It's unlike any other portion of Scripture, I think. It's just, it just pops out at you like, this is good stuff. If you give the book of Proverbs your full attention, you're going to be struck over and over again how wise God is, but you've got to do something about it. It's not right to just say, okay, cool, and then go about your day or go find somebody else who says cool things. You've got to commit to this God. And the way that you get started is by living in relationship to God in Christ. That's what we mean by the fear of the Lord. It's recognizing who God is and who you are and recognizing that there's no way that I can stand in front of this God unless somebody comes and takes away my sin and my guilt and my unrighteousness and gives me his righteousness instead so that I can stand before a judge who sees me and is present with me and who knows everything I've ever did and accepts me as his son and his child for Jesus' sake. It's calling out to him in faith and saying, I can't stand in your presence on my own. You're too powerful, too pure, too present today. I need a savior. And I believe that King Jesus paid the price for me. Would you forgive me for what Jesus has done? And if you begin, when you begin, by exercising that faith, when you start by saying, not my way. My way's gotten me nothing but guilt and shame and condemnation. I trust your way. I trust you, Jesus. You died in my place. You rose from the dead. You're alive today. I need you to save me from myself 
and take away the guilt and the sin that I'm carrying around that's dragging me down to hell. When you start there, you've taken the first step of wisdom. Wisdom begins with worship. It begins when we recognize that God is God and I'm not. God belongs on the throne and I belong bowed in reverence before him. You want to be wise, you want to live the life that you were meant to live, that you were created to live. You want to be successful at fulfilling your destiny and your design. You want to receive the skills you need to navigate the trials and the difficulties and the circumstances of life, then you've got to start with worship, with the fear of the Lord. You've got to make sure you're in covenant relationship with I am, with the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to say no to the wisdom of the world that says you can do it on your own, and yes to the wisdom of God's word that says you've got to be broken before him. Just open your hand, empty your hand, and say, I need the free gift of forgiveness. That's where wisdom starts. Would you pray with me? Father, for just a few moments, we would ask that you would clear away any extraneous thoughts and enable us to focus on your character and your power, your purity, your presence. We know that you're here with us because your word tells us over and over again, there are no secret places to hide from God. Jonah learned this. He tried to run away as far as he possibly could, and he found that you were there. David knew this because he praised you for it in the 139th Psalm that if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand is going to find me and your right hand is going to hold me. You're here. You're pure. Your eyes are purer than to look at sin, and we know that we stand before you as imperfect and indeed rebellious sinners. We know that your power is beyond compare. And we're vulnerable to you. And so, Lord, we are glad to know that you are a God merciful and gracious, overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness, showing mercy to a thousand generations and that you've revealed that mercy in the person of your son, Jesus. Father, we want to be wise. We want to live a life that pleases you, and so we know we've got to start by recognizing your lordship and the lordship of your son. So in this moment, I pray that everybody in this room, everybody listening online, would come to understand by the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit who you are. Bow the knee before you and believe. Father, I pray for Christians, those who have given their life to Christ, but who, like me, so often and so easily forget that you are God and we are not. We want to be wise as well. And so, Father, in these moments of response, in this meal of celebration, we ask that you would reveal yourself so that we can start on the path of wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me now? Uh, Let's take a moment as our musicians sing, as we sing together, uh, to prepare our hearts for this holy celebration, this symbolic meal.
in which we look back and remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, in which we look forward to the day when we'll be in his presence enjoying fellowship with him around his table, and we look around at the fact that he's brought us into a kingdom, brought us into a family, brought us into communion with one another. Let's prepare our hearts before him. We'll be up front. There's going to be elders all around. Just grab somebody if you need to pray with them. And we'd love to show you from God's word how you can be a follower of Christ today.